0: The Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winnerty, and today I'm talking to Jason Fry, author of so many incredible Star Wars works, including the novelization for The Last Jedi. From deleted scenes with the Master Codebreaker and Han Solo's funeral, to his start writing RPGs and Star Wars Insider articles, this is Talking Bay 94, episode 45, Jason Fry. All right, today I'm joined by uh, Mr. Jason Fry, uh, author extraordinaire and and full of incredible Star Wars stories. Mr. Fry, thank you so much for, for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. This is a treat. Looking forward to it. Uh,
0: well, before we dive into just the incredible amount of Star Wars stories and nonfiction writings and RPGs that you've written over the years, I first just want to ask you, what were your first experiences with the saga? Uh, what was that impact for you growing up and did it impact you writing as well?
1: I was eight years old when A New Hope came out, which then, of course, was just, I was just Star Wars. Right. Um, yeah. And uh so that was pretty much the the perfect age uh, to become a mega fan anyway. And it was kind of amazing because I mean, I, I tell people like I'm old enough that I date back to the world before Star Wars. And it is kind of remarkable. just there was this movie that was out, and it was it was supposed to be really good, but it was became a thing in a way that things weren't. Like it wasn't just other kids who were talking about it. It was, you know your your neighbor and your mom and dad's friends and people who didn't normally care about such things and so it was just kind of extraordinary and for me i say without exaggeration that it changed my life because i had always been a kid who wanted to tell stories and um, was really interested in how stories worked and loved space fantasy though i didn't know that's what it was called then and fantasy and sci-fi and everything else and i had wanted to do all these things but i hadn't really grasped that there could be stories like that that were super cool and super exciting and amazing and had all these great effects etc but also had this depth to them there you could sense they were about um something weightier that there was something going on underneath all the excitement um Mm -hmm. that meant something more now did i know all that as an eight-year-old no of course not but even at eight you know we've we've read seen a lot of stories and we have a better understanding of how they work than we might think and so it kind of exploded my horizons and really changed the way i thought about storytelling and the stories i wanted to tell and I just went from there.
0: What, were there any stories that were then part of that, you know, the hero's journey with the Star Wars stories? Was there anything that you explored past then because of when you first saw Star Wars?
1: Yeah, I mean, I my mom was, at the time, was a um, college administrator. And she had those little square blue books that kids took exams in. Mm-hmm. I don't know if if I don't know if college kids still do that, but it's still there, you know. Yeah. yeah, you know that <laughs> very distinctive, weird form factor that's only for college exams. And so she had access to all these, and would would like bring home stacks of them that I would fill. You know, I'd, I'd take one of these blue books and write like you know the so and so epic saga, blah blah blah, one in the right <laughs> corner and i'd feel like you know 20 30 of them in longhand and then right. i'd i my story would kind of go into a box can and i wouldn't figure out how to get out and i wouldn't be able to finish it but um, that was okay you know i was still <laughs> learning a lot and you know of course all of those were hugely influenced by star wars cuz you know i had seen this thing and i wanted right. to write stories like that and if if you could have told my 8 year old self that i would one day get to actually contribute to that universe i would not have believed it i would have thought to myself what an amazing future hurry up please and let it get here (laughs) and uh, i never let myself forget that i i pinched myself every day that this is something i wanted to do as a kid because i loved it and i actually got to do it and i've been incredibly lucky and if i ever forget that shame on me
0: uh what was then the step from going as a kid wanting to be a writer and wanting to play in this kind of sandbox to then actually becoming a professional writer what were your your steps whether through school or through initial jobs to get there
1: uh i i wanted to be a writer but i knew that it's a hard task to write the great american novel when you're like 22 and immediately Mm. become one and get to do that your whole life i tried it and actually wrote a pretty good literary novel which never got published um (laughs) so it, it didn't work um So I I knew that was tough and that was okay with me because I just wanted to write for a living and I didn't particularly Mm -hmm. care how. And the best way I could do that and actually make a living was to go into journalism. And I wound up, I spent nearly 13 years at the wall street journal uh, Mm -hmm. working for their online arm doing, you know, editing, writing columns, you name it. And that gave me the professional track record to, Uh, assure editors um, with some of the Lucasfilm licensees that I could do this work, I could be on time, I could be accurate, et cetera. Um, As someone who's been an editor myself, that is the biggest thing in a project is just, will, is this person, does this person know what they're doing? Are they reliable? Will they get it Mm -hmm. done? Will they play well with others? And that far more than your fandom bona fides is what gets you a shot. Right. Um, so even though that wasn't Star Wars, wasn't fiction, wasn't anything else, it was the professional track record, uh, that I would need. And then during that time I was writing my own stuff on the side and I was, um, pursuing Star Wars as a fan, as a hobby, uh-huh. cataloging planets, et cetera. And <laughs> I eventually, I got a side gig, uh, working for the, uh, the Star Wars insider, uh-huh. uh, they launched a book column. And my friend Dan Wallace suggested I might be good at it, and I got that job, uh, which was wonderful because I got to talk to all the different publishers and once a month would talk to an author about an upcoming book, which was <laughs> a really amazing way to, to pick a lot of really smart storytellers' brains. Right. Um, so yeah, and I was doing I was doing kind of anything I could. I actually got vetted by Lucasfilm to write something for the Star Wars Adventure Journal. Uh, The old West End Games book. And then uh, West End Games, which was actually, a lot of people don't know this. It was actually like this weird offshoot of a shoe company. Uh And the shoe business got in trouble. And unfortunately, West End Games folded because they they were doing just amazing work and really kept the Star Wars flame alive for years and years. Yeah. Um, but I was, I just remember being crushed cause I was like, that was my chance and it's gone and you know, what will I do? But uh, I did more RPG stuff in the insider and just took every star Wars job anyone would let me do. And, uh, eventually that led to, uh, one, something I'd wanted to do from the beginning, which was working on fiction and everything else.
0: I love it. We we actually just talked to Bill Slavisek, who was the creative director for West End. That was the previous episode, and I just kind of gushed, not only about Adventure Journal, but, you know, every source book and every galaxy guide and every <laughs> adventure that they put together, because, as you said, it really did keep that flame alive for Star Wars.
1: Oh, yeah. No, Bill Bill and, and all the West End games folks deserve all the gushing they get, and they don't get enough, because... <laughs> I mean, they, they kept the flame burning, they did uh, the foundations of a vast amount of the expanded universe that's still being drawn on now, and also, I mean, those books, some of those books are really wonderful.
0: There's really oh, yeah.
1: great storytelling in those books, and um, there's just, there's a there was an artistry to that, which I, I really admire, and I never actually played the West End Games, uh, uh, Star Wars game, because I, mm. I didn't have anybody to play with at that time, but... I had all those books and just, you know, just enjoyed reading them uh, for their oh, own yeah. sake. Yeah, stop listening to me. Go 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 listen <laughs> to the Bill Slavsek
0: episode. <laughs> that, was, that was the same experience I had, right, where even when I was growing up, I wasn't playing the RPGs with anyone, but it was the source books that were teaching me everything. And then eventually it turned into playing the miniature game or playing, you know, the Wizards of the Coast, which then you were involved in. What was the uh, involvement you had with at least some of that early Star Wars storytelling with Wizards?
1: For Wizards, I did... I mean, if from the very beginning, I had a, a, a huge interest in geography, which eventually led to the Essential Atlas. So I did um, I did some entries for uh, Coruscant and the Core Worlds, yeah. uh, including drafting a map, which I was <laughs> so excited about, and uh, Geonosis and the Outer Rim Worlds. And I also did a lot of stuff for the website, which I don't know how much uh-huh. of that is around. Um, and just you know, it was it was like. It was just a chance to tell some stories and lay some groundwork and hopefully, I mean, I never played that game either and was unfortunately relying on my old first generation advanced Dungeons and Dragons knowledge. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I hope anybody who played those scenarios, I hope they actually worked. But um, yeah, it was fun to do. I remember one of my thrills was, uh, this is way before Rebels, I uh-huh. did a, um, an adventure called, uh, what was it called? Oh, Triplet Threat. I don't remember why it was called Triplet Thread. I'm sure there's a reason, but um, that was the name of it. And that, I did stats for the troop transporters and brought mm-hmm. them in to, they had been sort of sidelined. They hadn't been in the Expanded Universe I brought them in, and that was, I mean, that was so cool. I mean, this you know, that that's the joy of it. I mean, that was yeah. a, a toy I got for Christmas and was hugely excited about. <laughs> and, you know, get a chance to actually bring that into some Star Wars storytelling years later that was fabulous and then when it showed up in rebels i was like
0: oh you know like, here we go yeah so much fun yeah. interesting part at least for me and your career as it continues throughout especially now writing star wars is how varied it is right we've talked about rpg we've even dabbled in the nonfiction thing um and you've gone into fiction you've gone into young adult books what are the challenges as you approach each of those? And is there a constant thread, especially when you're writing Star Wars, that you hold on to as you write each individual type of genre? Uh,
1: the thing I try to check on for myself, no matter what kind of project it is, is can you hear the John Williams music? <laughs> um, yeah, I and mean, that's that's what Star Wars is about. Right. And you know if I, whether it's a story I'm writing or, you know, a, a bit of lore or whatever, like if it doesn't suggest interesting possibility if you can't either imagine the scene in your head with the john williams score it doesn't suggest kind of interesting possibilities where you'd hear that score then something's wrong Mm -hmm. uh and i go back but in terms of the differences i think you just have to be very clear what kind of project it is and it isn't and then uh make sure you're you're executing that Mm -hmm. um it's a, a danger for writers sometimes to um, to try to turn a project into the project you really wanted to do. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's, that's not your job. In fact, that's the opposite of what you're supposed to be doing. Um, so I, 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 had, I learned pretty early on just to be really rigid about that. And, um, I mean, it took me some doing. Like um, Essential Guide to Warfare, for instance, is, is a book I'm really proud of, and I think that's a right. good book. But it has lots and lots of kind of one, two-page anecdotes and mini-stories in it. And in part, that was going back to West End Games having done that, and I really liked that style, but it also was increasingly I really wanted to write fiction, and I was kind of scratching that itch, Um, which was fine, and I, I think that was good stuff, but you know that was something where, in hindsight, I look back at that. And I'm, I'm like, you know, <laughs> don't cross the streams to borrow from <laughs> another, another franchise. Um, but I, one thing is, you know, I, I, don't mean to make it sound like I've, you know, leveled up to fiction or anything like right. that, or adult fiction. Like I really love, I love writing lore. I, love, I love writing for kids. I love writing adult stuff. Um, and honestly, being able to write a lot of different things, uh, is really energizing. Like if I have two Star Wars projects at once, which has happened in the past, (laughs) but they're fairly different then I can kind of, you know, I can kind of use them like a seesaw to recharge myself, which is, uh, which is pretty neat.
0: One of the things that I I really love and, and you've kind of touched on it now, which is, You've started in your writing of Star Wars with wizards and with nonfiction writing, and then it moved into these, in my opinion, the modern source books, right? Whether it's the Essential Guide to Warfare or the Atlas or the Visual Dictionaries and then moving even into the cross sections, right? These are accessible, public-facing West End game source books, really, for hmm, this yeah. modern era of, of Star Wars. Uh, what is it like putting one of those together? I mean, we can use one for an example. Like, if you want to just say Force Awakens, Incredible Cross Sections, what is that process like for you as a writer, especially for something that is also so visual for people?
1: Um, well, one, yeah, the cross sections books are, are a really interesting challenge, um, which, which I'm, I'm happy to talk about. But an overall note is that one thing I think about a lot is you think about that book being picked up in a bookstore by a casual fan or somebody who's buying it for somebody else. And, you know, for something like, like a DK like book like that, I mean, one of DK's uh, secret ingredients is their design is so good that there's a huge amount of information um, in DK books, but it, it's it's accessible. It doesn't overwhelm you. It kind of draws you in, and that that's something I think about a lot. Is um, a casual fan has to be able to pick a random page of a book like that and find something they recognize and something that draws them in and makes them want to engage more, um, instead of feeling like, you know, they just walked into like the AP test for Star Wars. And, you know, are are told they're not worthy. I I think about that all the time. I mean, this, you know, I was eight years old when I became a Star Wars fan. There are, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of Star Wars fans who didn't have that chance because they arrived later. And so it's always somebody's first day. And I really hope that anything I write is welcoming to them um, and gives them a chance to then want to explore this kind of amazing fictional world. Um, so that's something I think about a lot and that the whole, you know, I say all the time that as an author, you're the one who gets your name on the book, but that's really, really pretty unfair Mm -hmm. considering how many people, uh, do so much hard work to make that possible from your, you know, editors, copy editors, designers, uh, marketers, Um, You name it Um, and that's true working with any of the licensees and with Lucasfilm is you've got a really good team there uh, To help you out. Um, You have to be smart enough to listen. That's always true uh, As an author, but there's you're working with a pretty great net Um, For the cross-sections book Specifically, I mean they're kind of an interesting beast I would think a lot about book like that, you cut, you have the annos, the annotations for the artwork. Um, you've got kind of the data file, uh, for the ship, whatever it is. And then beyond that, you're kind of have like five or six little paragraphs and they are really pretty little. Uh Um, so one thing I I would think about a lot and brainstorm and kind of iterate over and over again was, um, that space is so small that you cannot get away with putting two ideas in one paragraph. Uh You're going to muddle up both of them. So you got to think about, like, what is the one idea I want in this graph? And then you have to think from there, like, what is the mix of ideas I want? I mean, is it something about the history of of this ship, its relationship to other ships like it over time in various Star Wars eras? Uh, is it something like deep and technical? Is it something like its role um, in the fleet? Um, you got to have something in there that reminds people of its role in the story and why it's important, but doesn't just doesn't just rehash the movie because that's mm. that's dumb. You don't need that. And then so you got to think about that, um, and then you also, but then you have to step back again and think about the overall book. Like, are you hitting the same things too often? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, is there like a, um, how would this things function in the First Order fleet? Does that show up like eight times? (laughs) Um, Things like that. And, you know, contrary, is there something you missed? So that's one thing I love about those books is it's kind of an interesting puzzle, and you have to, it's a combination of kind of, uh, sinking into the story and figuring out, like, what moves you and what's exciting to tell. And then also, you know, kind of stepping back pretty rigorously and figuring out, you know, are you executing against all those things you have to do? So uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I I, <laughs> I had written probably, you know, three of them before I ever realized that I thought about it like that and was able to articulate <laughs> it. But, uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, those are fun challenges as an author.
0: Exactly. Well, speaking of the, the new movies, one of my favorite books from the Disney era has been uh, your novelization of The Last Jedi. What was that process like, first getting that call and then working with Ryan and, and making sure that the early drafts of that story were coming through throughout your novelization?
1: Uh, yeah. Well, the first thing I had to do was keep quiet about it. Um, I don't remember when I was told that I was going to get to do it, but it was like way before, uh, the announcement. And so that was my biggest thing. Like, I mean, they already knew I could keep secrets. I've been a journalist, et cetera, but still it was, (laughs) it was hard. I was really worried I was going to mess up somehow. Um, but I, it was a blast. Um, I mean, it's, Interesting project for a writer. Right. Uh, one of the first things I told myself was, I was like, this is not your story. This is Ryan's story. And, right. you know, I treated it like Ryan would have written this book himself, um, except he was, you know, making this gigantic movie and a little right. busy. Um, but that was, that was important for me. I, I was like, you've got to, like, yeah, this is a great opportunity. This is a big responsibility, but you've got to put your ego aside and um you're you're novelizing it's Ryan's right. story and right. you know don't don't get let yourself get in the way of that um but the process was really fun i went out in uh late july before uh last Yet i came out to skywalker ranch which is mm-hmm. a pretty amazing day in its own right cuz i'd never <laughs> gotten to go out there and was yeah. just kind of agog, and uh, sat down with the Lucasfilm publishing team and, and Pablo Hidalgo and Ryan, and we just we went over the story and some of the characters and, and beats and arcs and all that fun stuff. And um, one thing that was hugely important was Ryan was just unbelievably generous from the very beginning. I mean, one of the first things he said was, you know, I'll give. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll give you all the major iterations of the script. And if there's anything in earlier versions, you can use. Go for it. Uh-huh. Um, which is really kind. And a lot of uh, storytellers, filmmakers, um, wouldn't have done that, and would have been perfectly in their rights to keep that stuff back. But I mean, he was super helpful from the very beginning. Um, it was, and it was interesting. You know, he gave me his email address. Said. Now, if you're ever stuck or need anything, just email me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't um, for a couple reasons. One was that uh, the script was so good in ways that scripts often aren't at taking you into the characters' heads and letting you know what they're thinking, kind of where they are emotionally, uh, which is a lot of what. novelization can do that's harder to do on screen and so that was a huge help and i I already had that for a lot of moments right um where i might have asked um and also i was just like i mean when i sat down with ryan they were still he was still working on some sound stuff but the movie was basically done and i was like i was like oh my goodness he gave me his email but I mean, the man deserves to lie on a beach or something yeah, like, yeah. I was like, leave him alone. He just made yeah. a Star War. Um, so I really, I didn't, I didn't bug him. Uh, but, you know, that was another thing. Like, I mean, the option was there. So, yeah, yeah he was just, I mean, he was terrific. I, I can't say enough about how kind he was to me um, in that process.
0: I love it. You mentioned the early iterations and the early drafts. Is there anything that sticks out to you that you were glad that you were able to include or that you were happy that you were able to kind of flesh out and write in this expanded edition of the movie?
1: Um, There were some little
0: gags I really liked. Like, I mean, there's a thing in there about, like, we're...
1: Luke tells Ray he told the caretakers she was his niece, <laughs> um, huh. which I thought was awesome and just cruel and I knew would drive people crazy. Yeah. Hopefully, in a fun way. Um, right. Yeah, there were things like that that I really liked. Um, the most interesting one was actually, actually didn't happen. There was, a re- there was an earlier version of the uh, Master Codebreaker subplot. Mm-hmm. Which wound up with um, with Rose and Finn and the Master Codebreaker like running over roofs and canobite kind of to catch a thief style. and they uh-huh. all get, but the master codebreaker like immediately gets like zapped and, oh, like thrown into it. a net. <laughs> and um and then you know Rose and Finn are kind of uh, kind of stuck. And so it's the same kind of record scratch moment that you get right. in the movie, but with a whole different, yeah. Um, different setup, and you also got to meet the master codebreaker a little bit, um, and and have him interact with with Finn and Rose, which I thought was mm-hmm. awesome. And so, you know, I told Ryan uh, when we sat down, I was like, I'd really like to do the alternate scene. I think that would be so much fun. Um, and I admit, I was like, I knew it would just blow people's minds at like Wikipedia and everywhere else if the novelization yeah. <laughs> had a completely yeah. different scene. And he was up for it, and we wrote it that way. And literally, in like the last two days where it was possible to do anything with the novelization, uh, it was decided that we that was going too far and we shouldn't do that, and we yeah. would and we should change it back. Which, in hindsight, I, I think was correct, it was pushing. Um, pushing a novelization out of kind of what I said a little Mm. too much Um, so I agree with that decision but that's not to say that I don't regret it because that scene was so much fun that's wild Actually, it's been a little while. Maybe after um, Rise of Skywalker is out, I'll make some inquiries and see if there's somewhere else we could we could publish that. Because I also just loved that scene. It was so funny. And, yeah, the whole experience was really fun. Um, whether yeah. it was uh, the deleted scenes that showed up um, on the Blu-ray or, or, I mean, other deleted stuff that was just in the book or whether it was stuff um, that uh, my own invention or stuff that came out of conversations with my editor Elizabeth Schaefer or the folks at Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, it was just, it was super fun to write and, uh, people for the most part seem to have enjoyed it, which is great.
0: Yeah, no, I loved it. I, I you you mentioned it where the I think the one that really just shocked people you did literally on the first page where you were like surprised <laughs> uh, yeah. Luke Skywalker's wife that was like it really set the tone for what the book was and like really set the tone for you know we're getting inside these people's heads in a way that is expanding off of the characters that we have grown to know in, in the Last Jedi.
1: Yeah, no, that was I that was a fun scene. I knew it would it would. Um cause some stuff to it paraphrase melt the internet
0: a little bit yeah <laughs> yeah which
1: you know is never a bad thing and no, I, I knew it was an absolute killer first line yeah. um but one thing i thought about a lot was goes back to having to serve the story and my that that scene dated back a long time for me it was a story that i'd always had in my head about kind of a what if uh where luke never left tatooine right And grew old in apparent tranquility, but feeling like something had gone wrong. And it was a story I thought about for years, but I couldn't figure out why it would exist. You know, was it part of a holocron? Was it just, what was it? Mm -hmm. Um, But then I was thinking about approaching the novelization. I was thinking about a a couple of things at the same time. One was that I really wanted to start with Luke, um, because, you know, like everybody else, when the end of force awakens when ray meets him on the cliff i wanted to know something about what was in his head and where had he been and and all of that so i wanted to start with luke before we jumped into that story um but there was an immediate problem there which is if you, you think about the last jedi um the protagonist is not luke it's ray um ray right. is the character who's essentially we're sitting on her shoulder and Luke is the riddle she's trying to solve. And that meant that until really late in the novelization, I couldn't be in Luke's head, because mm-hmm. that's that's cheating the story. I had to stick with Ray. So if I wanted to do that, my thought was, I need to do it before she shows up. That's the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one, and the other thing was that one thing I worked really hard on and that I'm pretty proud of in that book was trying to give the reader the sense of the force almost as a character in its own, right. Um, interacting with all the characters, with Luke, yeah. with Ray, with Kylo, with Snoke, with Leia. Um, you know, there's this kind of multi front conversation about, uh, the force and how it works. Um, and you know, I was thinking about Luke and the will of the force And thought to myself that there's no way the Force would just accept that Luke Skywalker has cut himself off. So we would try to get through those defenses. And where are we most vulnerable, most suggestible, most open? It's when we're asleep, when we're dreaming. And then it came together and I thought realized that my old kind of quiet apocalypse idea of Tatooine actually worked really well um, with The Last Jedi. That in both cases, Luke has retreated, has this seemingly tranquil existence, but actually without him, the galaxy is falling apart, and he's made a terrible mistake. And so um, I saw that my old Tatooine thing could actually work really nicely as the force delivering him a message, a warning. Um, And then, yeah, it melted the internet, and some people were like, (laughs) this is another... (laughs) Assault on heroism and
0: you know, Lucasfilm film seven, yeah. and Disney
1: now says that Luke should have never gone off and been a warrior. I was like, oh my god, no, <laughs> no, yeah. no, it's actually <laughs> pretty much the opposite, but exactly, but you know, that's okay. The, the internet's gonna internet,
0: the internet's gonna internet, and Star Wars Twitter's gonna Star Wars Twitter, so it doesn't oh, yeah, no, nothing matters. I don't want to keep talking about the lead scenes but one that really stuck with me uh just because again legacy character and and the stories that are being told was was han's funeral and the way that you told it was amazing and i, I still c- keep thinking about like the little endor figurine that han whittles you know like just these little details that you've interspread throughout the novel really adding context and and clarity to a lot of the characters that we've kind of grown to love and know throughout the years what was that like writing literally a scene that no one has had to write before, which is the the funeral of Han Solo.
1: For me, it goes back to what I said about teamwork. That was uh, Elizabeth Schaefer of Delray, who is just a wonderful, wonderful editor and a very kind person. Um, And I need both often. Um, (laughs) Elizabeth and I were were eating lunch across the street from uh, Random House, uh preparatory to taking on the novelization and one thing we did we just sat there over this very fun lunch and brainstormed scenes we really wanted to see Mm -hmm. and i don't remember who said it but one of us was like hansel's funeral we were both Mm -hmm. like "Ooh, like (laughs) Like yeah yeah i gotta write that but um yeah yeah, i like that scene for getting a little bit of of han in there i mean as a as a as a kid i was a han guy and Mm -hmm. that was my one disappointment that i couldn't write that character right um, but also I think that's a really, I am proud of that scene as an emotional scene for Leia. Um, I, I'm, I'm proud in general of my work on Leia, uh, in that book. I thought that scene really got to, um, something that I think is essentially tragic about her in that, you know, she has spent, um, her whole life just being who other people, the galaxy. Uh, being who the galaxy needs her to be, and what mm-hmm. is the cost to her personally in her private moments? And I thought that scene as a kind of um, something she doesn't want to do, as as kind of you know forcing her private grief out into a public display. Um, I thought that would be a really powerful uh, scene to explore.
0: Yeah, and really the exploration you did of Leia's character in the book really still sticks out to me, whether it's just the small moments of her, you know, reaching out to the force, her and Chewbacca at the end of the novel, right? Really just highlighting not only Princess Leia... But, you know, carrying the portrayal of that throughout was a really nice touch to the whole book itself.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. But I mean, teamwork again, the yeah. that last scene with Leia and Chewie, that's a lot of people's favorite scene in the book. It mm-hmm. might be mine. Uh, that scene didn't exist uh, a week before we wrapped the manuscript. Yeah. Um, Lucasfilm uh, e- emailed uh, me and Elizabeth and they were like, they were like, can you guys jump on a, a call? We want to we want to have one more scene. And I (laughs) was wiped. I was done. I was like frantically like checking copy edits and just losing my mind. (laughs) And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. I just, I was like, no, no, it's not possible. But you know, you can't say that. And I got on the call of course, and I heard the scene they wanted. And I was like, that's an amazing scene. That was my first thought. I was like, I can't believe I'm so lucky that I get to write that scene. Yeah. And then I thought I better not screw it up. (laughs) (laughs) But again, like, you know, that that's a lot of people's favorite scene in the book. And I get a lot of credit for it, which is very nice. But I didn't think of it. It would not have existed without um, uh, Jen Heddle and Mike Siglain at Lucasfilm thinking of it and wanting it and telling us. So you know, as a once again, you know, I get my name on the book and that's great, but that scene wouldn't have existed without them.
0: You're obviously very inspired by Star Wars, and you've then made that into your own IP, the Jupiter Pirates. Maybe to the people listening, like, where can they read it? What is it? What's the hook? And, 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 and what's been that process like for you creating a whole new world?
1: Yeah, uh, Jupiter Pirates is my own
0: uh, young adult space fantasy.
1: Don't yet let the young adult part throw you. I think it works for. <laughs> Readers 8 to 80, or at least I hope so. Uh-huh. Um, it's set in the 29th century in a galaxy not so far, far away, um, around the, uh, the moons of Jupiter. Um, and uh, the moons of Jupiter are independent. Earth is still the dominant economic political force in the solar system. Um, so there's an interesting tension there. But it's really, it follows a single family Uh, They were space pirates once. They're now privateers because piracy has officially been outlawed and cracked down on. Um, Mm -hmm. The mother is the captain of the family's starship. The father is the first mate. And the three kids, uh, Tycho, Yana, and Carlo, are midshipmen. And that means they have to cooperate and work together uh, as crew members to keep each other alive But they're also competing to be the next captain. The captaincy gets passed down one generation to the next, and only one of them uh, can win that prize. So that was the idea. And so, you know, it's got sibling rivalry. It's got uh, political intrigue. It's got space battles. It's got buried treasure. It's got, you know, half-cyborg pirates who say, arrr, and... uh, um, all huh. those things, it was, uh, yeah, it was it was a blast to do. Um, uh-huh. Collins published the first three books, um, available in any big any big online bookstore, name you probably uh. know. Um, huh. And there will be two more books to come, I, but just don't ask me when. <laughs> Not as soon as I would like, but I right. swear I will finish out the series. And if you go to jupiterpirates.com, there's also... There's uh, an exclusive short story and okay. some, some goodies that people can check out. But um, yeah, no that was, it was super fun. I mean, I, I made some rules for myself. like it has uh, it has no robots or aliens because I was like, I've done that. I know how that works. I want to do something a little different. Family intrigue and a, a brother and sister who are twins, which are actually they're not twins. They're just a couple of years apart, but they're like almost like twins, which uh, it didn't occur to me that I had sort of you know, yeah. gone down that road. Yeah, but that's all right. And it had, does have Star Wars physics, of course, because Space of Battles course. are just much more fun
0: that way. Well, you, you brought up a droid, so I'm going to have to circle back to Star Wars very quickly, which sure. is you and uh, Tales from Vandor recanonized two of... Some of my favorite EU characters, briefly, uh, Bollocks and Dash Rendar. What is that? Was that Lucasfilm? Was that you? Was that you sneaking it in? What was that? What was that like? Uh, that was me, but uh, with
1: their approval. Never, ever, ever sneak something in. I, <laughs> I always footnote right. everything so they know what right. I'm doing. Right. Um, no, that was that was the fun thing about that book was that it was playing from the start with the idea of unreliable narrators. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's tall tales in a bar, right. basically. That's, that's, you get unreliable narrators all over the place in that situation. So that was really fun to just push that. And I saw that it was also a great way, talking about Han and Lando and Chewie, to um, to bring up some of those stories that I loved and that I hope readers are still encountering. And, you know, my favorite Star Wars book is Han Solo it stars at Starzat. Love it. Um, and that was true before the, you know, EU new canon thing. And it's true after it, because why would that be different? So yeah. it was uh, just a treat for me as a huge fan of, of that book and Brian Daly yeah. in general to uh, revisit some of those stories and those characters. But, um, yeah, there's all sorts of, I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, gosh, I got to include the, um, the Ian character from the Lego
0: yeah. show.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Why not? You're just, but,
0: yeah, you're going for it.
1: Yeah, no, that, that that story was uh that was a lot of fun to work on and the uh I love the art. But um yeah, Studio
0: Fun makes great books, but uh
1: they're they're really fun to work with.
0: And then another another instance of Jason Fry melting Star Wars Twitter for a day, right? That was I think I was at work and someone was like, Dash render is and I was like, Oh fuck, okay, uh, <laughs> uh what are we
1: gonna do? Like yeah, you know, I say I I do I do sneak stuff in for readers, not yeah. for Lucasfilm. That way you get in trouble, but for yeah. readers, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's some still some little Easter egg bombs that have never gone off, but they will one day. <laughs> yeah, um, someone's
0: gonna find them. <laughs> Well, the next Star Wars book that you have coming out is the Galactic Explorer's Guide in November, I believe, and it's described as a fact-packed book-plus-app interactive guide. What is that going to be like, and what can we expect from the Galactic Explorer's Guide?
1: Um, I don't really know how the book interacts with the app. I'm really excited to see that, but the idea is that you, the the book, kind of stands alone as its own fun narrative to go through and then um there's another level of kind of of storytelling and intrigue uh that you access through the app which i was really excited about because i'd never done that and it sounded like a really interesting challenge for how to tell a story so we'll see uh how that works um yeah the galactic explorers guide is not the essential atlas 2.0 some Mm. people thought that at the beginning Um, and Hey, if we get to that point, doing essential Atlas 2.0 would be really, really fun. Yeah. Um, my hand would be up really high, but that's not what this book is. Um, it does take you to a whole bunch of worlds and talk about them. There's cool lore and a lot of fun stuff. Um, There's also, there's a great droid character I got to, uh, well, I think he's great. There's a droid character I got to invent for it. Uh, I'm really, uh, I really had fun writing him, and I hope people will enjoy reading him. So uh, we will see that. But yeah, that comes out in November from... Carlton and uh excited to talk about it more once it's actually out there.
0: Yeah, I'm excited too. And really you, you got me already with on the cover there's the pod racing logo from like the nineteen ninety nine marketing campaign for Phantom Menace. <laughs> so uh, I'm all in. Cool. All
1: right. One one satisfied customer. Well, one once customer we can satisfy if I if I do my job. That's right. that's a good start.
0: Uh well Mr. Fryer, thank you so much for your time. Uh and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks so much for
1: having me. I really appreciate it.
0: I want to thank Mr. Fry for the time and the incredible conversation as well as indulging my nerdy questions about the novelization for The Last Jedi. For more information about his upcoming books, follow him on Twitter at Jason C. Fry or on his Tumblr, .tumblr jasonfry.tumblr.com. And if you want to check out more about Jupiter Pirates, check out jupiterpirates.com. Next week, I'm talking to Jock, one of the art directors for The Last Jedi, as well as one of the most incredible comic book artists currently working today. So until then, stay tuned, leave a five-star review, and may the Force be with you.